Uh, today we're going to cover the second half of chapter 8 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to encourage you to open up uh, your Bibles. To Matthew chapter 8, we are going to pick up where we left off and start in verse 18 this morning. And uh, as we read, I'd like to invite you just to stand as we read today's portion, just in honor of God and His Word, and also uh, an opportunity just to kind of shake the legs out a little bit. So uh, we'll just uh, read the opening verses of our portion this morning and and dive right in. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, it says this, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, again just for this morning, this opportunity to gather together as a, as a church body, as, as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as your children. And Father, we just want to come and be in your presence this morning. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, through your word. We want to hear your voice. And so, Father, I pray that you would... Uh, use me in that manner, Lord. I pray your uh, anointing would be upon myself. But I also pray that your anointing would be upon the hearts and ears of everyone here this morning. Lord, that you would prepare us. That you will would have already been preparing us to receive uh, the message that you have for us this morning. I pray that we would not just uh, hear the message, uh, but Father, that we would make application to our own lives. And so Father... We pray your leading, we pray your guiding, and we pray your blessings upon our time in your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Here in in verses 18 through 22, uh, we see at the beginning, as the crowds, they gathered around Jesus, he he gave a command to depart to the other side. Uh, Jesus was not seeking to gather around him a a great mass of people. Uh, Oftentimes throughout uh, the gospel accounts, Jesus would look for ways to actually escape from the crowds, uh, to get away. And uh, oftentimes he would escape the, the crowds to get away, to, to be alone with the Lord and to pray. And so we see uh, him doing such here in the beginning verses of uh, verse 18. Uh, so he... he didn't want big crowds. He wasn't all about big crowds. We mentioned this last week as well when we saw how Jesus didn't want uh, the leper to tell anyone about the healing that he had uh, received. And so he said, just go and tell the the priest. Don't go out and tell everyone. And we know what ended up happening is he didn't follow uh, the Lord's orders. And and he went and told everyone and it became such a big scene there that it was difficult for Jesus to come back and minister into that city. And so, uh, you know, he wasn't about the crowds. He wasn't about uh, the masses. He didn't come to do the people's work, but the Lord's. And so Jesus gave a command to the disciples to go to the other side. Remember that currently they are in a city called Capernaum. Okay? And so uh, the Capernaum is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so for them to cross over to the other side, they'd be heading over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee into um, an area known as uh, Decapolis. 
Decapolis, excuse me. Uh, it is predominantly a Greek area, and we'll see some uh, illustrations and examples of, of different types of living uh, at the end of our portion today. But they uh, crossed over, and as they were preparing to depart, a certain scribe came to Jesus. Scribes were experts in the understanding and study of the law of Moses. One of their main functions was to make copies of the Jewish law. And so because uh, they spent so much time in the law, in the, uh, the scriptures, uh, studying it, they were very well-respected people during this day. Scribes had political power in the New Testament times. And many sat upon the Sanhedrin, which, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like a, a ruling court of the Jews. Uh, and so they would serve on that. They were sometimes referred to even as lawyers or teachers uh, of the law. And so Jesus had a, a... Actually, if you recall or you know the Gospel accounts, he had a number of run-ins with scribes. And usually, they were not very welcoming of Jesus and his ministry. However, obviously, they were not all that way because we have one here today as we read in Matthew of one that uh, was different. Okay? This particular scribe, he came to Jesus and he declared with what I believe to be a lot of enthusiasm, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I think it's safe to assume that this scribe has probably been following Jesus around and witnessing some of the miracles that were taking place. And and possibly he even was there to listen to Jesus speak with authority upon the lies. He would just speak and people were marveled and just amazed at how he was able to speak with such authority regarding the scriptures. Uh, And so it's very possible that he was there to hear uh, the Sermon on the Mount as well as he's been following, these masses have been following Jesus around. This scribe seems very excited about following the Lord. Uh, very zealous in his pronouncement that he, he'd follow Jesus anywhere. Uh, and, and as you consider things thus far, there hasn't been a whole lot of persecution for Jesus and his followers up to date as we go through and read about the gospel accounts. You know, his ministry, if you read back in Matthew 4, they kind of give a little bit of a summary statement about his ministry. And it says that his ministry consisted of teaching in synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And so things are happening. Things are exciting. Jesus' fame, it even tells us, was spreading throughout the land and and multitudes from all over were coming around to to follow him and to see him and to see what great thing was going to happen next. And and so as we recall this and we remember just the setting and what's going on, I I think we can understand that heart and that excitement in in this scribe as he makes this declaration, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, And I think to myself, well, who wouldn't? Right? Who wouldn't? I mean, these are exciting days. These are exciting things that are happening. There is uh, miracles that are happening. And, and just the way that he taught was so powerful, just made people to, to be in amazement and to marvel. And so, yeah, who wouldn't want to just, man, I'll go wherever you, uh, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And, and so we see here this overwhelming excitement uh, from the scribe. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't, doesn't really foster that. He, he kind of cautions this scribe in his response. Uh, he says to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Now, some have come to the conclusion based upon this verse that Jesus was homeless. Okay? Uh, but I don't believe that to be true. Okay? Jesus, I do not believe, was homeless. Other scriptures speak of how Jesus was um, at home and how he made his home in Capernaum. And so uh, the fact uh, is that the scriptures say that he had a home uh, to stay in. Okay, uh, He did do a lot of traveling, though, and when he would do so, he would be at the mercy of those around him uh, who would be willing to host him. But Jesus wasn't homeless. Okay? Uh, there is a difference between a, a traveling preacher that relies upon the hospitality of those he's ministering to and a homeless man, and I do not believe that Jesus was homeless. So what did he mean when he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? Okay. Basically, I believe Jesus was saying, Hey, have you counted the cost? Have you considered what is required in following me? This life of traveling around isn't so easy. You may have to give up on some of life's comforts, like a soft pillow to lay your head down on each night. Okay. Luke records for us an account when Jesus cautioned similarly in Luke chapter 14. If you want to turn there, you can a little bit to the right. If you're in an English Bible, if you're in a Japanese Bible, to your left. In Luke 14, he, another group of multitudes were following him in a different account, but he gives a similar caution to them. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 14, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost to see... Whether, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegate and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, verse 33, he says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus made this great demand upon discipleship as the multitudes were following him. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of multitudes going around. And he turns to them and, says, and kind of says, hey, challenges them. Hey, have you counted the cost? Are you willing uh, to, to make the sacrifices needed? Obviously, I think it's, it's obvious that Jesus knew that this scribe had not counted the cost. And that he was simply responding off of emotion, out of emotion. Wow, this is so exciting. Things are so great. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. Type of an idea here. Today, as we go through this portion of Scripture, I'm going to note five different points from different people's interactions with Jesus. We're going to look at different interactions Jesus had with different groups of people here. And I'm going to note five things uh, about that. Uh, these things. And here's the first one. This scribe responded emotionally without counting the cost. As I think about our life, what's the application for us? So the application is very simple. That we need to count the cost when following the Lord. We need to count the cost. 
I think sometimes we can be like this scribe. Okay? Things are happening and we get all excited and we think we're going to join up with Jesus and each and every day is going to be filled with teaching and preaching and healing and casting out of demons. It's going to be awesome. Okay? I, having been on the, the mission field in Okinawa for over 10 years, we would have groups that would come through on short-term missions trips. And oftentimes they would get like this. Okay? They'd be all excited about all that was going on. Okay? We'd be doing street witnessing, evangelism at the park. We'd be doing concerts and outreaches and VBS. We would cram as much as we could in those two weeks or so that that group was there uh, and just to take advantage of them being there. And some of them would get the feeling that this was what it was like all the time on the mission field. <laughs> that, that it was so awesome and they, they just couldn't wait to get out on the mission field and, and just experience this life that's just constantly just going and flowing. Uh, but it's interesting that uh, one of the group leaders that would often bring out youth actually from California uh, was Joseph Tatsis. Joseph Tatsis uh, was the youth leader at Calvary Chapel Montebello in Cal- Southern California before he moved to Osaka, Japan uh, three years ago. In fact, do remember Joseph and Amy Tatsis in your prayers. Today, they are having their very first Sunday morning service in Osaka, a very first adult service. Uh, they've been there for over three years, uh, just plugging away, helping out another church, but they're st- reaching out, branching out, starting their own adult service today. So just pray for Joseph and Amy Tatsis. But Joseph was a youth leader at that time when he used to come out to Okinawa and bring groups. Uh, anyways, he would, he would come and he'd bring these groups out and often he would warn them uh, of what he coined, what he termed wonderlust. And maybe you've heard that word before. It was an, I'd never heard it before, but he coined I don't know if he coined it or not, but he would say, uh, talk to them about wonderlust. Okay? And, and he would describe it as getting caught up in all the emotion and excitement of ministry without really understanding the full picture of what ministry is really all about. And he was right on with his assessment. You know, we couldn't operate the way, that way for very long. Okay? Uh, when those missions teams would come through, we'd take advantage of them and their energy and their excitement to do things that we normally just couldn't do on ourselves. And so, yeah, we'd do concerts, and we'd do street witnessing, and we'd do VBS and evangelism in the park, but, but that was because they were there. <laughs> uh, when they would leave, we'd usually have to take a couple days off from work just to recuperate, because it was just like crazy, nonstop. And so Rick, uh, our senior pastor, would say, hey, the teams have gone, let's take a couple days off just to recuperate. Okay? Uh, we couldn't keep up that sort of pace for very long. Okay, I, I, maybe I was trying to think of a, a way maybe military people could understand and comprehend this. I kind of likened it to, they're, they're like a special ops team. Okay, they, they sent in to do a very specific mission. Okay, and when they, uh, they come in and they're all gung-ho and they complete the mission and then they take off. They come in, do their thing, and then whoosh, But there's still you know, Marines and, and soldiers that are left there to, to battle day in, day out. It's that battle in the trenches, and it's not all excitement. It's not all, you know, you know, fast and furious and everything going all crazy. It, it, it's just an everyday battle. And I think that ministry is more often like that. It's that everyday battle in the trenches. And, and yeah, there's times when God shows up and God does great things, and, and we can just be amazed at that, and I, I don't want to belittle that. But I'll tell you what, God often works more often 
He chooses to work in the simple, everyday little things of faithfulness than He does in those great big things. And I just want to encourage you. These people, this, this scribe, He came they're all excited. Everything's exciting. Everything's going on. I'll follow you wherever you go. But He, he said, hey, you, you need to count the cost. Hey, it's, it's not all, all going to be like this. Okay? Another of his disciples came to Jesus in verse 20. And it's, he said, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Or verse 21, excuse me. Uh, and, and it's important to note something here as, as this disciple came. Um, that, And I am sure most of you probably already know this. But in case you, there's any that here don't know, um, this man's father was not dead yet. Okay, it wasn't. Uh, it's not as if this man's father had, had just breathed his last, and his lifeless body was lying around waiting to be buried. That's not what's happening. That's not what's meant by this phrase. Let me first go and bury my father. The the phrase it it was a way of saying, let me wait until my father dies, uh, and I'll, I can bury him, and and then I'll come and serve you. That's the mentality. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, just leave that, you know, your father's dead body there and don't bury it. Okay, that's, that would be pretty crazy. It was a phrase for him to just say, hey, let me take care of this first. Then I'll come and and serve you. Okay? The implication here is that this disciple was willing to follow Jesus, but that he just wasn't ready to follow him now. And something stood in the way from him being able to fully commit to the Lord. This something was a sense of obligation to care for his earthly father before serving the heavenly father. Jesus' response to him, it may seem a bit harsh. He said, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Their own dead, excuse me. And obviously, as you think of what he said, physically dead people cannot do anything. They're dead after all, right? And so what, is, what does he mean by this phrase, let the dead bury the dead, the dead person can't do anything? And so Jesus must be referring to a different type of dead person. Not a physically dead person, but I believe he's speaking about the spiritually dead. In essence, what he's saying is, is let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Okay? That, that's, that's what he's saying here. Jesus was not asking the man to be disrespectful to his father, who was not yet dead, but to have the right priorities in life. It is a matter of priorities that Jesus is testing with this disciple that's come to him. And here we see our second point from the interaction with this, this disciple and Jesus, and it's a simple one, is that we need to have our priorities in order. Some of you may say, oh, I, I want to serve Jesus, but, but I've got this thing that I have to take care of first. And, and this thing, well, you can just fill in the blank. okay? Because there's an endless amount of excuses and misplaced priorities that, will allow, that we allow to hinder us from committing ourselves fully to the Lord. I can't wait until my kids get older. Then I'll serve Jesus. 
Okay? I can't wait to get back to the U.S. and out of Iwakuni, and then I'm going to serve Jesus. It's going to be great. I can't wait until I get married, and then I'm going to serve Jesus. I can't wait till I get out of the military, and then I can really serve Jesus. I can't wait until I have more time, and, and then I'll be able to serve Jesus. I can't wait until... Until what? What's keeping you from making the commitment to serve and follow Jesus? Whatever it is. Is it more important than honoring the relationship you have with the Lord and your commitment to follow Him and serve Him? The truth of the matter is that you can serve the Lord in every one of these situations. You can serve the Lord even if you have little children. You can serve the Lord here in Iwakuni. And you can serve the Lord as a single man or woman. And you can serve the Lord in the military. You can serve with the time you have right now. You can serve the Lord. You know, it's interesting. People talk about when I have more time. Do you realize nobody gets more time? We're all given the same 24 hours in a day. And although this week I was talking to my wife, she was saying, man, I wish there was just six hours more in a day. And I said, I wish there was more like 12 hours more in a day. We don't get that. We'll never get more time. We're all allotted the same amount of time. And it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of saying, this is a priority. I'm going to make time to do this. I'm going to make time to serve the Lord because it's a priority in my life. We need to make the most of each situation the Lord has you in and seek to honor Him in it, serve Him, and grow in your relationship with Him wherever you're at. Here in Iwakuni, in the military, with little kids, you know, as a single guy, whatever it may be, serve the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 23, it says, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us! We are perishing! But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus and the disciples have boarded a boat and set sail for the other side. And suddenly it tells us that a great tempest, a great storm arose. Okay, the Sea of Galilee okay, is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. It was not usual, excuse me, it was not unusual for violent storms to pop up all of a sudden. Okay, because of the Sea of Galilee, uh, I'm not a weather guy, but I was reading on it and it made sense. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains on the east and hills intersected by narrow gorges on the west. And so the cool winds would rush down the slopes of the mountains and they'd blast through these gorges on the other side. And the winds would sweep across the sea, causing the waters to turn rough very quickly and to become very violent. And so this was something that was normally would happen and was somewhat uh, 
common. And some try to attribute this storm uh, to the work of Satan. Uh, But the text doesn't give us any sort of indication that this was something supernatural. It was just a a storm. It was an unusually strong storm. We know that. But that doesn't mean it was from the enemy. That doesn't mean it was Satan that was doing it. Also, ultimately, I believe uh, that God is in control of the weather and not the devil. And so if the... If it was some kind of supernatural thing that was happening, we know that it was the Lord who allowed it, the Lord who permitted it. And so uh, I wouldn't as quickly ascribe this to the work of the enemy as some have. But this storm was so great that the boat was being covered by the waves. And we need to remember that a good group of these men are very experienced fishermen. They uh, would be very used to boating on the Sea of Galilee. And so the fact that the storm was so large that it caused these men to panic is an indication of the magnitude of this storm that's become uh, upon them. And interestingly, as, as all of this is going on, Jesus, uh, in the midst of the storm, he's asleep. And uh, in the midst of storms and, and chaos, there is peace in the presence of the Lord. The disciples, they wake him and they declare, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Uh, and the disciples were freaked out. Okay? They felt that they were going to drown and die out on the sea. And they came to the Lord with a sense of, of doubt in the Lord. In fact, in, in Mark's account of this same portion of Scripture, uh, in his account of this is, incident, he records that the disciples declared in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples, they, they didn't think God cared about them and that He was just going to let them drown and, and die. Okay? And Jesus responded to their actions by asking a very pointed question. <laughs> Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And this was a matter of faith. Would the disciples trust Jesus to care for them and look after them on a mission that He sent them on? Okay? It was Jesus that commanded back in verse 18 that they go to the other side. Jesus said they lacked faith to believe. That Jesus would do what He said He would do. He said they were going to the other side. But in the midst of the storm, they forgot what He said. They forgot His word. Jesus arose and He rebuked the winds and the sea. And the disciples marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? The disciples, they pondered the question, who can this be? Their lack of faith was based upon their doubt of His Word, and we also see that it was based upon an incomplete knowledge of who He was. And here we see our third point that I want to make today as we look at these interactions that Jesus had with the disciples, and it's this, that we need to remember who God is and what God has promised us especially in times of rough storms in life. We need to remember who God is and what God has promised us. In the midst of chaos and storms of life, we can sometimes respond like the disciples and we get all freaked out and we can panic. And we may ask, where are you, Lord? Don't you know that I'm dying here? Don't you care about me? Are you just going to sit there and, and sleep and, and while I perish? Okay? 
We, we ask those questions. We, we, we do that when we forget about who God is and we forget about His promises to us. Just like the disciples did here. The Lord is with you. That's where He's at. And the Scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you ask the question, you know, don't you know that I'm dying here? God, we can know that God knows your struggles. Okay? And that He'll see you through and he'll, he'll make a way for you to escape out of these trials, these difficulties, these temptations in life. He gives a way. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that He gives us a way out. Okay? He's not going to give us more than what we can handle. When we say, don't you care about me? We've forgotten what 2 Corinthians 12.9 says. That his, uh, He cares for us and has promised that His grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. When we're thinking, God, you're just sitting around doing nothing. You're sleeping while I'm perishing. We're forgetting what Romans 8.28 tells us. Okay? That God is active in our lives. He's working all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And so we ask these questions. We can be all panicked and freaked out, but we've forgotten the promises of God. Just like these disciples did. When, these things, when, these, when things seem out of control and crazy, remember God's great love for you. And remember His exceedingly great and precious promises to you. Let's continue. Verse 28. It says, When He had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met Him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. And so the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go! And so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them, them fled. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, amazingly, they begged Him to depart from their region. Once Jesus and the disciples reached the other side, like He said they would, they encountered two demon-possessed men. The text tells us a little bit about these men. Okay? One was that they were demon-possessed. The New Testament has many different examples of people that were possessed by demons. And demons would have different effects upon people. Some caused sicknesses and diseases. Others caused mental problems. While even others showed themselves in physical ailments like convulsions. And so uh, different things uh, would happen to different people that were demon possessed. We were told also that they were living amongst the tombs. Um, and, and it's really not surprising to think that the demons would, would feel at home around dead things. And really, uh, the tombs and grave sites were, were unclean areas. And so we just see that this demon living in this uh, area of, of death and uncleanness and darkness. We're told that they were exceedingly fierce. 
Okay? This word can, can mean to be troublous or difficult, harsh or violent. Okay? Another thing I, I think is interesting to note about these two demon-possessed men is that they knew who Jesus was. The demons correctly identified who Jesus was. That He was the Son of God. And not only that, they were aware of God's plan. They knew that there would come a time when they would be judged by the Lord. One last thing that I, I noted about these men is that they were also aware of Jesus' power. They acknowledged His power over them and His ability to cast them out. They, he, they begged Him, Can we please cast us, you know, if you cast us out, can you please cast us? Can we go into the swine? He, you know, they recognized His power and they recognized His authority. Uh, and the demons begged Jesus to be permitted into the herd of swine that was close by. And, and here's one of the, that thing I was mentioning early in the beginning of our time. The presence of swine okay, was an indication that these people were not Jews. Okay, verse 28 tells us that they were in the country of the Gergesenes, uh, which was part of a predominantly Greek district called Decapolis, which is what we spoke of already. And so swine, uh, they were listed as an unclean animal. They were forbidden at that time from being consumed by Jews. It was against uh, Jewish dietary restrictions. You cannot eat uh, swine, a pig, pork. Uh, that was no-no. And, and so... The fact that they are herding swine and they're in a foreign land is probably an indication that these people were not Jewish. And Jesus permitted the demons to enter into the swine. And the demons drove the swine into the sea. And it tells us that they all perished in the water. If you were to read Mark's account of this same portion of Scripture, it tells us in, in there that there was about 2,000 in number uh, uh, that were killed, these swine. As I was reading this portion of Scripture, I, I wondered and tried to figure out, and I, I honestly can say that I didn't come up with a, a solid answer, but I wondered why Jesus allowed the demons to enter the swine. And I, I looked up some different commentators and teachers to see what their thoughts were. And they ranged, uh, uh, they suggested some different things, and, and these are some of them, and I, I think they all carry a little bit of water. One was that, that Jesus wanted to show that the true intention, what the true intention of these demons was. That they wanted to kill and destroy. And, uh, and so when they were permitted to go into the swine, that's what they caused to happen. Death and destruction, that's the true motive of the demon. So some suggested that's why Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs to show the demon's true intentions. Some suggested that it would be serve as a demonstration to the witnesses that the demons had indeed been cast out of the men and did no longer possess them. And so it would be a, a, phys, uh, a visible uh, account where you could see that the demons were in these men, all of a sudden they're not, and now these de- you know, the pigs are going crazy and killing themselves. It would be a testimony and a witness to the, uh, those who are there to say, oh, that, that guy doesn't have the demons anymore because they just went into the pigs and the pigs went crazy. And so some suggested that's why he allowed it to happen. And some suggest that Jesus was killing two birds with one stone. Okay? That uh, ridding the men of the, the, the demons and also ridding the land from these unclean.
And, and so some people would try and, and suggest that. Whether or not any of these or all of these have truth, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I think they're reasonable explanations. But here I see in this portion of Scripture our fourth point from Jesus' interaction with these demon-possessed men. And it's this. That we need the truths of God to impact the way we live our life. And I'm not suggesting that the demons had a choice to, to follow the Lord. Okay? I, I believe their eternal state was already sealed. But I still think that we can learn something from this example. Okay? Here we see in the example of the demons, okay, ones who knew who Jesus was. They were aware of His plan. They were uh, aware of His power but did not allow those facts to have an impact upon the way they live their life. Okay? And, and I feel that there are people like that today. They won't deny who Jesus is. They won't deny that He has a plan. And they won't deny His power, but they won't allow those truths to impact the way that they live their life. And please, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say to liken these type of people as, as demon-possessed people. <laughs> uh, but I just found it interesting as I looked at these, these demons that had great theology. But it didn't mean anything in their life. This is what I am saying. Okay? If we acknowledge who Jesus is, and we acknowledge that He has a plan, and we acknowledge that He, uh, he has power, okay? it ought to have an impact on how we live our life. And I believe that there are many in churches today that will acknowledge these truths, yet not allow these truths to have any sort of impact upon how they live their life. And that shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening. If you're here today and you'd say, yeah, I I believe those things, I believe those things, but you haven't allowed those truths to impact the way you live your life, well then, you're not demon-possessed. But you are displaying characteristics like these demon-possessed men did. They knew it all. It just didn't impact the way they lived their life. And I don't think that should be happening today. Verse 33 introduces us to the last group of people and their interactions with Jesus. Verse 33, uh, it says, Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And those who who kept the swine, they went into the city, told everything that had happened, including how the demon-possessed man was healed, and the whole city came out to meet Jesus. You know, you would think that this was a good thing, right? You would think, not if we hadn't already read verse... 34, the end of it, you'd think, oh, this is, this is an exciting thing. Okay? Jesus healed a man that had been tormented by demons, healed men that had been tormented by demons. And, and actually, other gospel accounts tell us that these men, that they, the city folk had been trying to do all sorts of things to bind these people, that they had been bound with chains and that they were able to break them and that they were a nuisance to the city, that they were causing a lot of problems and people were freaked out by them. And, and so they were trying to do all sorts of things to, to keep these people, these demon-possessed men at bay. And, and so you would think that this would be a great thing, that they'd be all excited about this. He's been freed. This man has been healed. 
The city comes out to see what a, this incredible miracle and this healing, but what was their response? And when the city people saw Jesus, they begged him to depart from their region. I think that's amazing. These people didn't want anything to do with Jesus. The other gospel accounts, it actually tells us that when they they arrived on the scene and they perceived all that happened, they saw everything, it it tells us that they... uh, that when all of they when they saw everything that had happened, that they were afraid. That they were afraid. Fear had captured these people and prevented them from welcoming the Lord into their city and into their life. What were they afraid of? The scripture doesn't tell us exactly what they were afraid of. It just tells us that once they arrived on scene and perceived all that had happened, that they were struck with fear. Perhaps they were fearful. That they too would lose their flocks. Maybe they had some swine. And so maybe they were fearful. They look, come on scene, and they see 2,000 pigs floating in the sea. And, and you know, this demon-possessed man that used to be there is just sitting there. And his, he's clothed and in his right mind next to Jesus. And maybe they were freaked out a little bit thinking, what's going to happen to my flock? What's going to happen to my, you know, whatever I have? Maybe that's what feared them. We don't know uh, exactly. Okay, uh, we maybe they were fearful that Jesus would cast demons into some into them, or I don't know what they thought. Okay, we don't know. What we do know is that their fear pushed Jesus away. Their fear pushed Jesus away, and we learn an important lesson of what not to do from these people. It's our fifth and final point for today. We cannot allow fear to keep us from Jesus. We cannot allow fear to keep us from Jesus. And now, when I say that, I want to try and explain that a little bit. Uh, some people, I believe, I'm not talking about fear like we need to have a reverence to the Lord and fear the Lord. That's good. Okay? But a fear is that we're, and it's not a fear like, I, I don't think people have a fear like, you know, Halloween and it's scary and, and that kind of a fear. But I think some people are honestly fearful of living a life fully committed to the Lord. They're fearful of what Jesus may ask of them. They're fearful of of what they may have to give up. And and they're fearful of losing things that, that they deem valuable. I think that happens a lot today. We're afraid. I know that I can give testimony... You know, people say, hey, you've been here in Okinawa for a long time. Are you going to go start a church? <laughs> no way, you know. The Lord's got plans. He's, his plans are not our plans. Here I am. But um, it's fearful to think, God, oh, no, that's scary. Okay? Uh, that's, that's, and so sometimes we allow fear to keep us from fully committing to the Lord. We're afraid that, wow, you know, I'm kind of happy and content with life. Things are going good. And if I totally surrender to Jesus and give Him my everything, he, well, He might ask me to, to get a little uncomfortable. He, he might ask me to, to give up some things in life that, you know, I kind of like. And, and so we see people can be fearful. But I do think this, that all these fears are tactics of the enemy. We don't need to be afraid of living for Jesus. He may ask of you 
He may ask things of you that are fearful. He may ask you to stand up and teach every Sunday morning in front of you know people that you, you know, barely know. Uh, but I'm getting to know. And, and that's a little bit fearful, I can tell you. Okay? He may ask you to, to start a Bible study okay? or to start a prayer group in your work office. And you'll be like, oh, I'm not so sure about that, Lord. You know? uh, he may ask things of you that, that are fearful, but He'll be with you every, every, every step of the way. He may have you give up things in life, but He'll replace them with things that are far better. And He may have you realign your value system. But we can trust that He knows best. These people, they let fear keep them from the biggest blessing they could have ever received. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let fear keep you from the blessing of following full-heartedly after the Lord. Today we looked at interactions Jesus had with these different people. We looked at His interaction with the scribe and and noted how we need to count the cost. The scribe, He was all gung-ho, this is going to be great, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. And He says, hold your horses there. You can count the cost. We then looked at the interaction Jesus had with a disciple that he just really needed to get his priorities in order. He needed to get things in the right place. Let me go take care of this first. I got this relationship with my father. I've got to make sure everything's good there. And then I'll come and follow you, Lord. Jesus said, no. What's more important? Let the the spiritually dead take care of the physically dead and you come follow me. It's a matter of priorities. Are our priorities in the right place? We noted from the disciples and the boat that we need to remember who God is and what His promises are for us. That when life gets all crazy and we start to freak out, that we need to remember who God is. And He has wonderful promises for us. And we then turned our attention to Jesus' interaction with some demon-possessed men. And we noted how the demons, they had good theology. But it didn't impact their lives. And lastly, we saw how fear had kept the people in the city from allowing Jesus into their life. And perhaps some of us need to take a closer look at our walk and our commitment to the Lord today. Maybe some of us haven't really counted the cost when it comes to following Jesus. And perhaps some of us have really got our priorities in a mess. Possibly you're here today and you've been freaking out lately, wondering where God is, and and you just need to be reminded of who God is. And you need to be reminded of His great promises for you. And and there, the Word is full of them. I want to encourage you. The promises of God, they are such a blessing, a source of strength. Or, Or maybe some are here today, and if you were honest with yourself and with the Lord, you'd admit that you're afraid of living full on for the Lord. That you've allowed fear to keep you back. Today is a, is a great day to take some time and consider those possibilities.